Hello, you are listening to HS Christians, high school Christians helping other struggling Christians. Today's topic is Innovations in Faith with International Justice Missions' Dan Mackett and your host, Aaron Helms. Hi, and welcome back to HS Christians, high school Christians helping struggling Christians. My name is Aaron Helms, and I am your host. Uh, Today, we are talking with, uh, we're doing something a little different. We're talking with uh, a manager of the corporation IJM, International Justice Mission. Uh, I'll I'll let him uh, speak for himself. Tell us who you are. Hey everyone, yeah, my name's Dan Mackett, and I am International Justice Mission's College Mobilization Manager, which is kind of a mouthful of title, but basically means I get to work with hundreds of college students around the country as they seek to respond to God's call to seek justice. And so this is a group of students who are working to end slavery uh, by mobilizing students on their campus to, to pray, to give, and to advocate on behalf of those who are still trapped in slavery. Okay. Um, awesome. So thanks for being uh, with us here today, Dan. Um, or should I call you Mr. Mackett? I don't know. You can call me Dan. Okay. Uh, thank you for being us with us here today, Dan. Uh, first of all, Happy New Year. Um, happy New Year to you as well. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this on January 3rd, so for those listeners out there, it's just after uh, New Year's. But yeah. Um, so, uh, Dan, could you tell us kind of how you got started at IJM? Definitely. So it was actually six years ago, pretty much to the day. So it was my freshman year of college, and I was on a winter break, and I had the opportunity to go to a conference called Passion. And Passion Conference is a big gathering of 18 to 25-year-olds, and the purpose is those students to go to learn about Jesus, to understand what uh, he has to do with their lives, and then go out from there encouraged uh, to live lives to to honor him. And so my freshman year, I'm sitting in a dome, the Georgia Dome, where the Atlanta Falcons play, with about 40,000 other college students. And I'm sitting there, and we're, we're hearing different speakers talk, we're also speakers talk about the reality of modern-day slavery. And at that point in time, 2012, they, they estimated that there were 27 million men, women, and children who were still trapped in slavery. So both sex trafficking, so young girls held in brothels to, uh, to be sold up to 10 times a day to different men, or families who were trapped in brick kilns, so they were uh, they would be held for generation after generation, working 18 hours a day with no pay and, and just severe abuse. And so we were, we were hearing stories of these 27 million people who did not get to enjoy the, the same freedom that, that you and I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, God is just breaking my heart. Because I couldn't help but think of what, what if I were in their shoes? The verse that came to mind and, and was taught at the conference was Hebrews 13.3. And Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are being mistreated as if you yourselves are being mistreated. And remember those who are suffering as if you yourselves are suffering. Mm-hmm. So I was hearing these stories of horrific violence and abuse against these people. God was asking me the question, what if you were in the, what were you, what, what would you do if you were in their shoes? What would you want someone to do for you? 
the simple question was that the simple answer was that I would want someone to, to give all they could to come rescue me. And so it was at that specific time that I knew God was calling me to use my life in whatever capacity I could to help rescue those people who were still trapped in slavery and who were experiencing such violent abuse. And so I got back to my campus about three weeks later. I went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I studied not business. And that freshman year, three friends and I had the awesome opportunity to start an international justice mission campus chapter, which basically meant that we would mobilize students on our campus to understand that, hey, slavery didn't die in the 1850s in the Civil War. Slavery is still alive and active, and it's actually more prevalent than at any other point in human history. And people needed to hear about this reality, and then they needed to respond through prayer, through giving, and through advocacy. And so over the next three and a half years, I got to see students come and learn about this issue. We put on different fundraisers. We put on different education events. And it was really cool to see what God was able to do. So that summer that I graduated, I actually got to intern in Washington, D.C. with the International Justice Mission. And then I went on for a period of time to work with a firm called Baker Tilly, just doing business consulting. And I eventually came back to work full-time with IJM this past April, so April 2017. And that's, that's how I'm here now. Hmm. And so when you came back, did you start out as a manager or kind of how did you start out? Yeah, so I, I actually came into the, to the program as the college student mobilization uh, mm-hmm. manager, which, which, yeah, just means that um, we had about 80 IGN campus chapters around the country, and I, and I would be responsible for helping kind of lead those students and help set the vision, coach them. Uh, and also just help them out as they're leading on our campus. And it kind of worked out since I had, you know, the, the awesome opportunity to do that when I was in school for three and a half years. So I came in mm-hmm. uh, just helping those students as they're leading. Okay, awesome. Uh, so you've told us a little bit about yourself. Um, and I believe kind of at the beginning you explained briefly what IJM's kind of mission is. But uh now that we have your story, could you also kind of maybe just quickly shed some light on kind of what's the story of IJM and maybe how that's incorporated to your story? Yeah, definitely. So, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back in history a little bit. Yep. So, about in 1994, so IJM's founder, his name's Gary Haugen, mm-hmm. he was working for the Department of Justice with the U.S. And one of his first uh, tasks, he was a, a fresh lawyer out of, out of college, went to the University of Chicago, mm-hmm. and he was tasked with investigating the post-Rwandan uh, genocide. And so for those of you that don't know, uh, in the early uh, 1990s, um, in Rwanda, there were two ethnic groups of people, and, and the Hutus and the Tutsis, and um, one of the groups ended up massacring almost a million people of the opposite ethnic group. And it was, a, it was an awful, awful atrocity, an awful act of violence against people who couldn't fight for themselves. And so Gary was tasked with investigating post-genocide what had happened. And so he's in Rwanda, and he's having to go to these mass grave sites of thousands and thousands of bones of people who had been slaughtered for no reason other than the fact that they were of a different race. And so as he's there, uh, and I'm shortening the story a lot, mm-hmm. God is doing a work in his heart. And, and really the question that, that he asked, he's like, God, where were you? Like, where, where were you? What were you 
were made in your image and what were you doing to protect them? But what God actually asked Gary in response was quite interesting. He, he clearly, uh, you know, was having a conversation with God and, you know, just long hours and studying, praying. And, and what he came to the conclusion was, was God was actually asking Gary, well, where were my people? What was the church, what was the body of Christ doing during this time of horrific violence when Jesus clearly calls his people to be the hands and feet of the world, in the world? And so Gary, instead of coming back discouraged and defeated, started to understand that, that the God of the Bible is a God of justice, that the God of the Bible longs for people to be made right with himself and also to have peace with each other. And that injustice is really the chaosness that sin causes, where people who are really brothers and sisters, all made by the same God, are are attacking one another and, and using violence and abuse to, uh, you know, to terrify each other. Uh, and so the whole the whole story of the Bible is that that God is one who loves each and every person that He created, and He longs for justice to rule. And so Gary. Um, out of that conviction, wanted to start an organization that would really mobilize the global church to say, hey, we're not going to let these forms of violence, just like the genocide, but also in the form of slavery and child sexual assault and all these horrific abuses, we're not going to stand for that because if we don't do anything about it, then we're actually allowing it to happen. We're actually saying, hey, we don't care enough about these people to not sacrifice on our own to help protect them. So Gary started International Justice Mission, and his purpose, his mission was, we want to protect the poor from violence. And so poor people are specifically prone to violence because they don't have the resources necessary oftentimes to protect them in the developing world. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, our justice system is is not perfect in the U.S., but it's far better than a lot of justice systems. So I'm talking about the police force, uh, you know, the court system, the, the aftercare system. Um, we have a much better situation than much of the developing world. And so what that means for poor people in the developing world is that they don't have access to have people protect them mm-hmm. from everyday basic needs. And so what Gary was witnessing was that a lot of our development efforts, so poverty alleviation, so if we were going to build a school for girls in Africa, but the girls were at risk of, of being raped on the way to school, then that school actually didn't serve its intended purpose. Or if we build uh, a well for the people you know, in a poor country who don't have access to clean water, but the rich end up coming and, and, and taking that from them or are abusing the women on the way to fetch water from the well, then the well's not actually doing its job. What poor people actually need is a, is a, is a justice system, so a police force and a, and a system to protect them so that they can use their, their gifts and their resources to actually thrive like you and I do. Um, and so that, that's IJM's mission. We want to protect the poor from violence. Mm-hmm. In the last 20 years, that's, uh, it's been incredible to see what God has done. And, and we've developed a model of change. And we've developed a model in which we're actually helping execute this. And so our model is pretty, uh, it's complex, but it can be simplified into, we want to rescue victims from slavery and other forms of violence. So we actually partner with local law enforcement 
to go into brothels where young girls are held or onto Lake Volta where young boys are trafficked in the fishing industry. And we actually work with the local law enforcement to rescue these victims out from those horrible situations so that they don't have to be in them any longer. And then once we rescue them, we restore them. And so we have amazing aftercare partners who help these victims get counseling and trauma therapy and job training so that they're given time and space for one to two years to actually heal. You know, these people go through such abuse that they just need a time and space to heal and to understand what had happened to them so that they can move forward in their newfound freedom. So we rescue them, we restore them, but then we actually restrain the criminals. And this is such an important piece because if criminals aren't restrained from a crime that they commit, they will just be able to go off and do it again. So for instance, if a, if a man kidnaps a young girl to be a sex slave for him, and IJM goes in and rescues her, if we don't put him in prison so he can't do that again, he's just going to go find another poor person or another vulnerable child like that original girl, he's going to take her and keep her as a sex slave because he's got power and influence and the poor people can't do anything about it. So we actually make sure that those criminals are actually properly prosecuted and put in jail so that they can't abuse people any longer. And what we find is, is that we actually start making sure that the criminals are, are properly restrained for their crimes, then the prevalence of the crimes themselves actually diminishes because if you're a trafficker and you've been operating under this assumption that you're not going to get caught but all of a sudden one or two of your friends who are also traffickers get thrown in jail you're going to be deterred or you're going to be um all of a sudden scared or you're going to understand that hey you actually might get caught and so you're you're less likely to keep committing the crime and so by restraining the criminals and making sure that the justice system does its job in those countries, we're actually helping reduce the prevalence of the crimes themselves. And as we're doing this process of rescuing victims, restoring them through aftercare, and restraining the criminals by taking them through the entire court system, we're helping strengthen the, the local justice systems, like in India or the Philippines where we work, so that the governments and the justice systems are actually doing the job themselves. So that by the time IJM is done with the project, the, the lawyers, the police force, the judges, the aftercare, social workers, apart from that home country, part of that government are actually doing the work themselves, and IJM doesn't need to be there any longer. And so yeah, just to recap, IJM seeks to protect the poor from violence in the developing world. Specifically, one of our, our greatest areas of work is in ending slavery. And we do that by, by rescuing these victims, helping restore them, restraining the criminals, and strengthening the justice systems. Awesome. Thank you for that huge uh, just explanation. That was beautiful. It's really great to know that IJM is out there working with... Uh, Working with all these governments, how many different governments do you guys work with? You don't have to say the names of all the countries, but like, how many do you work with? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so we have set, we have eighteen field offices in eleven different countries. So we're working with 
those specific governments and those 11 countries. Some countries we have more than one office mm-hmm. uh, in, in the developing world. And we have, we're in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, South Asia, Africa, and South America. So we have a, a very global presence with which we're doing uh, this type of work. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Um, just, so I, I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, we talked about, uh, Rwanda and how, um, you know, Gary found kind of his mission, IJM's mission in Rwanda. Uh, what, what did, what did the world kind of look like before, um, before Gary and before his mission and kind of what does it look like now? What's the kind of like compare and contrast maybe, either uh, in percentages or just kind of what 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 is the what what is the difference that you can actually see yeah that's a, that's a great question Aaron. I, I would like to I, I'd like to talk about it in two different topics uh, within what we've kind of seen God do the first being just a very tangible um, kind of numbers focused and and that's that's the fact that so over the last 20 years, IJM has actually been able to help rescue 40,000 people from violent oppression. So that's 40,000 men, women, and children who would still be either caught in slavery or other forms of violent abuse that who are no longer experiencing that. And we've also helped secure convictions for over 1,300 criminals. And the combination of the rescue and the restraint of those criminals it actually has a multiplication factor. And so uh, we, we're able to say now that we're able to, we are help, IJM is helping protect more than 150 million people um, right now because those justice systems that we're working in have been so far transformed and that the surrounding poor people and vulnerable people in those communities actually aren't at risk to those crimes to the extent that they were before and are actually being protected. And so that 150 million number is a huge number that we've seen. On a more kind of tangible local level, I'd love to tell you guys a little bit of a, of a case study in the Philippines. So in the, in the early 2000s, we started a partnership with the Gates Foundation, so the Bill Gates Foundation, to really prove out our model of change so that you know, the rescue, restore, and restrain, does that actually help reduce the prevalence of a crime? And so the Gates Foundation partnered with us, and they said, hey, we'll we'll help support you guys to reduce the number of of minors, so young girls who were held in sex trafficking uh, in the sex industry in the Philippines in three different cities. And they said, after this period of time, if you can reduce the prevalence of the number of girls who are available by 20%, we'll consider that a success. And what we saw is actually over the next 10 years, as we rescued thousands of girls, helped put criminals behind bars, and started training the justice system to do it on its own, we saw the number of girls who were available for sex in the sex uh, trafficking industry be reduced by 79%. 75% and 86% in three different cities in the, in the Philippines, which is an amazing statistic because what that means is more than a number, it means that, you know, for in that one city, 80, 86% less young children, young girls 
actually able to go to school. They're actually able to, you know, graduate and get jobs without having, you know, to be in the sex slave industry. Um, and so that's just one specific case study that we that we like to tell um, in the broader scheme of what what's going on. I will also say that as the issue of human trafficking and, uh, you know, violence against the poor over the last 20 years since Gary started it, this has actually come to the forefront of people's minds. In the past, people didn't know that slavery still existed. And so, so now millions and millions of people actually know that it exists, and that allows us to get the support that we need to actually continue to rescue people and hopefully make slavery a thing of the past and so we can end it in our lifetime. But we've also seen this with the church. So over the last 20 years, we've seen, you know, thousands and, and, and millions of, of Christians understand that, that God actually cares about justice. And he doesn't just care about, you know, sharing the gospel to, to unreached people groups, which he absolutely does. You know, the gospel is the centrality to everything of what it means to be a Christian. But God also cares about justice for the oppressed. Uh, you know, if you just read the Psalms, you, you see... David talking about God's amazing character and that he hears the cries of the oppressed and he's going to send forth his people to help rescue them. And so we've seen, we've seen the church start awakening and there's still a long way to go, but we're on the, on the forefront of Christians realizing that justice is an actual part of discipleship or what it means to walk with Jesus. And, and as that starts to happen more and more, we're actually going to see, you know, hopefully slavery come to an end. Yeah. Uh, th thank you. <laughs> you're just you're surprising me with just how much information you're giving. You're definitely making my job a lot easier on the questions and, um, but yeah, uh, we're we're starting to kind of come towards where we need to be, kind of at the end of our uh, of our interview here. But I do want to ask one, maybe two more questions. And the last question I have on my mind is kind of how can we help or how can we get involved like how can we help high schoolers or maybe you know early college age kids what can we do to help you guys with this that's a great question yeah there's actually there's an amazing amount of the power that you guys have been granted to actually help out with this issue right now and i'd love to tell you uh two of the best ways that you can do that Number one, so, so we are a Christian organization, and we believe that that God answers prayers, and that it, it's the great mystery of what it means to walk with Christ, but for, in, in his wisdom, he asks his people to pray for, for God. You know, when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, part of it is, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And what that means is, we're asking God to bring a part of heaven, which is where his fullness dwells, his beautiful character, everything's in harmony, everything's in perfection because it hasn't been tainted by sin in heaven. We're asking that to come down on earth. And as that comes down on earth, injustice can't stand. You know, injustice is the antithesis of what it means to be in a, in a perfect relationship and um, perfect place where we're dwelling completely with God. And so when Jesus says, hey, I want you to, I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to have heaven come down on earth. 
that's actually a prayer to help end slavery as well. It's a, it's a component of that as well. We want to ask God to actually move in such a way that he eliminates injustice in the world and so that people who are made in the image of God can exercise the freedom that he so intends, both for their relationship with him, but also in relation to others. And so one of the best ways that you guys can get involved is to spend time in God's Word, reading through the Psalms or Isaiah, and praying through those passages. You know, Psalm 10 is a great one. Spend time reading Psalm 10 and hearing David's cry for the oppressed, and do that as well. Ask God to raise up the church, to raise up people, to actually go and rescue the 40 million men, women, and children who still are trapped in slavery. Um, The second way that, that you guys can help is by either you or your parents um, giving towards this work. Here's here's the simple reality. Rescue can't happen without financial resources. It costs money to do the undercover investigation to identify where those young girls are being held in a brothel. It costs money to put on the rescue operation. It costs money to provide quality, amazing aftercare for these victims. And so... Here's the beautiful thing. When God's people are generous towards the work of justice, that means rescue is actually made possible. So we have an awesome program called the Freedom Partner Program. And the Freedom Partner Program is admitting at least $24 a month, giving to IJM $24 a month, so that we can show up 24 hours a day for those clients who still need rescue. And when we do that, you're going to get emails and newsletters about different prayer requests and, and stories of what God is doing to bring about rescue. And so I would challenge you, think about tithing your allowance. Uh, yes, tithe to the church, but maybe give above and beyond and, and commit $24. When you think about that, it's really only like three Chipotle burritos in a month. Um, you know, I saw somebody that scrounged that up when I was in college and didn't have much money. But when you do that, when you give your, the resources that God has given you towards his work of rescue, it produces a joy that, that is unmatched with anything else that you can buy. So, yeah, I would challenge you guys to pray for the work, but I'd also challenge you to give towards the work by becoming a freedom partner. And you can do that by going to give.ijm.org, uh, and you'll see the promotion for the Freedom Partner Program, and you can, and you can join that. Awesome. Uh, how about, you said you got involved back in the beginning. You said you got involved in college. So I know it's called high school Christians, but I'm sure there's also probably some like high school seniors, college freshmen listening to. So could you maybe tell us also a bit how you could get involved in that way as well, since that's how you got involved? Yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, like I said really early on, I helped lead our college program. So what that means is we have IJM campus chapters, which are basically campus clubs uh, at their university or college. And these are groups of students who actually put on other events to tell students about the issue of injustice and slavery and then provide very tangible ways for them to get involved. So these students will do different prayer nights. So, you know, we'll send them prayer requests and they'll spend, you know, an evening praying together for God to end uh, injustice. Or they'll do fundraisers. A lot of our chapters have done fundraisers with Chipotle, where Chipotle has said, hey, we'll give 50% of our sales during, you know, from Thursday from 3 to 6 p.m. And, you know, when, when we do that, we actually raise $1,800 um, in those three hours. So they're putting on fundraisers. 
They're also doing advocacy events. Um, they're putting on different campaigns to get signatures or phone calls to our members of Congress. We actually hold a, a tremendous amount of power to pass anti-slavery legislation that can help, you know, fuel the movement uh, to even uh, greater ways that, that, than we ever thought possible. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're working with different Christian churches and campus ministries on campus to put on really cool events that inform and educate people, but also provide very tangible action items. And so, if you're heading into college, you know, check out our IJM College Students uh, specific website. So if you go to IJM.org and you search, search Get Involved, and there's a tab at the bottom that says College Students, you can, there's a map that shows all the campus chapters that currently exist. Um, and if one doesn't exist at your school, you can, you know, there's a there's a link to say, I want to apply to be a campus chapter so you can, you know, start the application process. Awesome. Uh, th- thank you for just everything that you've given us so far. It's We're about 29 minutes in, and there's just a lot of information. Thank you so much for uh, just being here today. Thank you for this interview. Uh, do you have any last things that you want to say? Yeah, well, I mean, Aaron, thank you so much for having me. It's great to, to be, uh, you know, part of the, the podcast. And the only thing I'd say is that you won't regret um, seeking justice, and you, you won't regret the sacrifice that uh, it's going to take, but it's going to be so joyous to see how God rescues, you know, individuals just like you and I from horrible situations um, to bring about just amazing joy and peace and thanksgiving in their lives. So justice is worthy of our time and effort, so I want to challenge you guys to do that. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. For our listeners out there, I'm going to uh, put the links for give.ijam.org and just ijam.org in general. I'm going to put those links out there for you to follow in the description of our podcast. Other than that, um, my name is Aaron Helms, and this has been HS Christians. See you next time. Thank you for listening to HS Christians. Be sure to check us out on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter at HS Christians, and share with us your stories of how God has intervened in your life. Thank you.